what we're really trying to do is, is step back and ask the question of what got us here? Is that going to keep us here? Is that really going to be the, the model that we need? Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is James Ross. James is the Chief Technology Officer of Danaher, a $24 billion revenue conglomerate that is the leading producer of technology and services for the biopharmaceutical industry, as well as instrumentation for vaccines and gene therapies. He's been in his role for a bit more than two years, and James is responsible for leading the modernization and transformation of infrastructure and enabling the acceleration of the digital transformation across the company. Prior to his current post, James spent more than two decades at GE, ending his tenure there as the Chief Information Officer of Global Functions and Digital Hubs. And now for a word from our partner, Codium. The last year has been filled with conversations around generative AI, but are you wondering how to actually get real value today from this revolutionary technology? Codium, spelled C-O-D-E-I-U-M, is an AI-powered tool that is securely personalized to your internal data, making software development teams 20% more productive and often writing over 40% of new code. This clears out time to tackle more problems and multiply your business outcomes. Join a long list of companies from startups to Fortune 500s that have chosen Codium as their internal productivity tool of choice for their software development teams. Reach out at Codium.com. That's C-O-D-E-I-U-M.com. And now for a word from our partner, ASAP, and the company's founder and chief executive officer, Gustavo Sapoznik, whose mission is to build machine learning products to solve some of the world's largest and most difficult problems. Well, Gustavo, take a moment, if you would, and describe ASAP's business. We have a very, very simple mission. Our mission is to end bad customer service. It doesn't just mean the relatively miserable experience that we tend to have as consumers with the enterprises. It's more broad than that. The problem of customer experience, more broadly defined, can be really thought as a three-legged stool. One leg of the stool is the enterprise itself. Another leg of the stool is the customer. And the third leg of the stool is the agent that works for the enterprise. So what's remarkable about this problem is that all three legs, um, I can argue perhaps successfully, are, are very broken. If you are an enterprise, you truly dislike the idea of how much money you have to spend in this domain. So the economic problem for enterprise and how much OPEX is represent is just staggering. For customers, we're all customers of companies, so we understand the frustration. And agents have one of the highest attrition rates of any job type in the world. All of this to say we have this very simple mission of, of ending bad customer service for all of those constituencies. And now on to the interview. James, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Great to talk to you as well, Peter. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, James, I would love to have you begin with an overview to Danaher's business. Quite an interesting and diverse business that it is. And if you could just take a couple of minutes and describe it, I think that'd be helpful context setting. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Danaher is a, a fantastic and, and amazing company. And, uh, uh, it's one of these companies that uh, may not be a household name, but is a company that most people have probably interacted with or uh, been a part of at some point over the last couple of years. And it's a company that's actually been around, uh, surprisingly enough, for over 40 years. And it was founded by two brothers. Very fascinating story. They were fly fishing in uh, Montana on the Danaher River. Uh, they decided that they wanted to uh, get into real estate trust. They wanted to grow uh uh, the partnership and uh, that real estate trust, very early uh, foundings of the company has now turned into a $24 billion global conglomerate. And uh, 
Uh, it, we're a company of companies, uh, so we are made up of uh, several different platforms and industries. Um, but at Danaher, we really like to talk about innovation at the speed of life. And for us, that really looks at uh, a number of different uh, areas. And one of them is, is being a leading producer of, of technology and services around biopharmaceutical, around instrumentation. Uh, and we're also very big at, in uh, consumables used in vaccine gene therapy. So uh, we're, we're everywhere. Um, probably just not the name that most people are familiar with. They're probably a little bit more familiar with the um, some of our, uh, our, our, our major uh, op operating companies. But uh, we were a company that was very important during the pandemic. Uh, we were responsible for the production of over 10 billion uh, COVID-19 vaccines. Um, so very proud to be a part of a company that started with uh, two brothers fly fishing and uh, is now a company that's uh, producing vaccines and, and helping uh, cure uh, uh, some of the major diseases in the world today. Remarkable. Thank you for that overview. Um, likewise, can you provide a bit of an overview of your, your purview and role as chief technology officer? Yeah, you know, and, and the CTO role has changed quite a bit, I, I would say, over the last uh, 25 years. And I've, I've uh, been in the industry for a bit, so I've seen that evolution. And uh, in the early days, you know, a, a CTO is likely going to be responsible for uh, data centers, infrastructure, the, the early plumbing, if you will, for IT. And uh, so much of that has changed now. So when I think about, you know, my role and where I spend majority of my time, it's actually on IT strategy and business strategy. Uh, it's helping the business understand where technology can enable and drive change within the company. Uh, it's also making sure that we understand how we uh, have the right technology roadmap to sustain that and that we're taking care of technical debt in areas where uh, we need to make investments. So uh, a large portion of my time is on strategy. Um, second part is with technology vision, road mapping, making sure that we understand our, our initial uh, strategy, but also where technology is going to help enable um, uh, those inflection points and, and how do we make sure we have a roadmap that's going to uh, help us drive forward. Um, third major area, no surprise, data and analytics, AI. Uh, it's kind of hard to pick up any sort of uh, uh, newspaper these days without the word AI somewhere printed in it. So it's, uh, uh, it is going to be here to stay, uh, fortunately or unfortunately. Um, but it is a very important, uh, uh, again, kind of inflection point, I think, for where we're at from a technology perspective. Um, so that's a big part of it. And then last but not least is how do we provide that right level of IT uh, shared services or service offerings? Um, throughout the, a given day, people are going to get stuck from time to time, and how do they get the right level of IT service um, that they need to be able to, uh, to continue on uh, in their job? So, um, so that's predominantly where I spend most of my time, but I, I, I enjoy the strategy piece uh, uh, the most. I think that's where we, we really can elevate the function and be a big part of the, uh, the change that's happening across the company as well. Can you talk a little bit about some of the substance of that very strategy? You talked about the 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 uh, business strategy and IT's uh, the levers you have to pull in order to help uh, bring it to life. Uh, talk a bit about some of the areas that you and the team are focused on, if you would. Yeah, so so we're we are double clicking on AI. I think AI is going to be a, a very critical part for us, and we're we're really looking at it across a couple continuums. Internally, we see it as a big productivity game changer. Uh, we're seeing the uh, the advent of or introduction of co-pilots and all sorts of other uh, nice enhancements and, and uh, additive assistance that are going to help us in our day-to-day -day job. So uh, we're, we're spending a lot of time figuring out where is that going to take us? Um, how do we do it in the right way as well? We know that there is a concern out there that if we just uh, 
had everyone at the company putting every piece of information uh, into chat GPT, that probably would not be a good thing for, for our business going forward. So making sure we have the right level of protection and, and governance around it. Um, but then also thinking about how does AI transform our business models. So uh, today we have a lot of medical devices and instrumentation that is collecting enormous amounts of data. Uh, that data could be very valuable in developing uh, new gene therapies, uh, new vaccines, uh, new uh, new cures for or for diseases out there that might not otherwise have uh, uh, have been discovered. And so we're really trying to use AI not just on the productivity internal side, but also how do we help transform the company and build new business models for for the company as well. Yeah, very very interesting. And, and you mentioned at the outset the. Uh, the the structure of the organization, operating companies, and a diverse array of businesses. Um, and I know that part of your priority in recent uh, months has been to help facilitate some more commonality across uh, that that diverse array of businesses. Moving from a a, a fairly strictly, you'll correct me if I'm if I'm framing this incorrectly, but uh, a, a fairly strictly federated structure to one that has at least more influence from the center. Can you talk right. a bit about the rationale for the transformation and some of the steps that you've undertaken? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and I think it's important to uh, to have the context and the setting for for why the change because you know it's uh, companies are always evolving, but I think there's always kind of that question of well, why now or what why, why is it important for where we're at and. If you were to rewind uh, even 10 years ago and look at kind of where Danaher was at back then to where it's at today, uh, very, very different company in terms of how we operate. And, you know, 10 years ago, we were uh, uh, a low single digit growth company. We were about 19 billion or so in revenue. Um, we had over 43 operating companies. So we were in a vast array of, of different industries. We were a manufacturing company. We had an environmental science company. We were a dental company. Um, we were doing fairly well. We had, you know, about 19% uh, operating margin. So, you know, pretty healthy for a company of that size. Um, but, but you know, there was more more to happen in terms of kind of what Danaher was really looking to become. And now as we sit today, we're roughly a $24 billion company, uh, high single digit growth. So uh, we're in uh, much healthier businesses in terms of the um, overall kind of op margin expansion. And when you look at it kind of from a 10-year expansion perspective, um, we've seen that that growth has put a lot of pressure on how we run the company. And historically, it would have been very opco-centric is what we the term we would use, which meant we'd buy a company, we would uh, bring in all that that uh, uh, that great product and great service offerings, um, but we wouldn't do a whole lot to uh, to to integrate it very very much within the uh, the greater kind of Danher ecosystem. We would um, uh, leave it alone, let it kind of do its own thing, and uh, and and uh, we would bring in some process improvement and things along the way to drive efficiencies, but not really anything at the technology level. It was always kind of probably seen as as a bit of a distraction or maybe something that wasn't going to be a big enabler for the for the company going forward. Now you fast forward to where we're at today purely science and technology based, the need for technology is even greater. So what we're really trying to do is, is step back and ask the question of what got us here, is that gonna keep us here? Is that really gonna be the, the model that we need? And what we've realized is that having this purely opco-centric model where we have most of, of IT kind of living um, individually within each of those opcos, um, it, there's a lot of overlap, du duplication, we're not leveraging the size and scale, we're not unlocking the the value of IT and bringing some of those best of breed technologies forward. So we are looking at at trying to change that model. And 
we're doing it in a couple different ways. And, you know, for us, what we like to do is kind of take a step back and say, well, what is IT? You know, I think that I think a lot of times it's, it's, it can be a complicated function. Um, I'm sure we all get asked, like, well, what does it really do? And, and, you know, what value does it really drive? And the way I like to describe it and the way we talk about it in Danaher is, uh, is IT is really one of four things. And I think it really is one of four things for any company out there. It's either going to be IT for customer. So what is all of those digital solutions, service products, uh, things that we're, we're building into our, our uh, go-to-market um, uh, products and services? It's IT for business. So how are we driving efficiency, productivity, uh, enabling automation so that the business can run better? Uh, it's IT for associates. So how do we provide that kind of base experience? How do people get connected? How do they uh, talk and communicate to each other? And how do they uh, access all the information they need to access? And then it's IT for IT, which is all that kind of foundational infrastructure layer. So as we think about Danaher going forward, we use that lens and, and the way we're, we're structuring is we're saying anything that's IT for customer, anything that's IT for business, largely should live as close to the point of impact as possible, as close to our customers, as close to our business units. There likely is some synergies that we want to gain. We don't want to lose that, that uh, unique uh, capability, that differentiation that's going to happen at the Opco. Anything that is more common in nature, maybe more of a commodity type of service, uh, we want to look at trying to scale that. So anything that's IT for associate, IT for IT, we have a lot of focus right now on trying to drive those into more central shared services, more central offerings. And in our mind, that's where the real value will be unlocked is using the size and scale of Danaher, using the knowledge we have around how to run the systems more effectively, uh, but also making sure we're, we're focusing each of our IT teams in the right way. So we're not creating that overlap and that duplication that we want to try to avoid going forward as well. I really like that framing. Thank you for explaining the four ways of thinking about uh, technology. And, and I wonder, how is the uh, org structure reflecting some of what you've described? Uh, surely you must therefore have uh, technology resources uh, in in the uh, closer to the customer within the embedded in the business, just as you have sort of that that shared pool uh, for the IT for associates and IT for IT. Can you talk a bit about how you've thought about some of the changes, the extent to which there have been some reflecting right. uh, the the four constituent groups and how how you think about those uh, facets that are more tailored or unique uh, versus those that are more common. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and historically, if you would have looked at any of our opcos, they would have essentially had uh, a, 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 um, a kind of a, a combination of all four of those. They would be uh, trying to do all four. And a lot of times they'd be trying to do it all at once with very precious resources, which what we found was happening a lot of times is that naturally what was happening was the resources and the organization was much more aligned around the commodity services, the IT for associate, IT for IT we didn't have as much uh, kind of critical thinking happening at the customer level within IT, uh, as well as the business transformation. We, we had some, some good thinking, but probably not as much resourcing as what we would want to, uh, to enable that. So what we are doing now is starting to relook at that model to say, what if we're able to centralize that IT for associate and IT for IT service layer, uh, bring the, the best and brightest together so that we, uh, we, can, we can kind of uh, rising tide lifts all ships um, as we bring those services forward, uh, but then allow the businesses to have a much more uh, focus and much more deliberate uh, attention around the customer in, in, the, in the business layer and use some of that valuable precious headcount for things that are going to be much more higher value, closer point of impact, 
um, things that are really going to drive productivity, re revenue, and, and growth for the company, um, but have that really kind of live within the uh, with the opcos themselves. So um, it'll be a couple year journey. There's a lot of components that we'll have to um, think about to make sure we get it right. But uh, our feeling is if we can organize in the right way, if we can move uh, into a, a structured model where we have people that are focused and and uh, and have the right uh, uh, kind of goals and priorities, um, we can really drive a, a much better, much more cohesive IT strategy for the company going forward as well. And as you reviewed your your areas of purview as CTO, the third area you covered was data analytics, artificial intelligence. You you uh, talked a bit about some of the areas of emphasis from an AI perspective as well. Um, how do you think about? Uh, data and analytics and artificial intelligence layered into the four different constituents groups you talked about. Um, in a similar vein to what you've just described, you also think about data that is unique or or governed uh, and managed uh, within the opcos or is close to the customer versus that which is sort of in a central pool. Uh, you know, how, how do you think about the organization and governance of that? Yeah, yeah. So we're going through that analysis now, but, but the way we're kind of framing it is anything that we feel like has we're using the term group catalyzed value. So anything that has that that uh, that element that that lives across multiple opcos or even within a, a given platform, things that have the highest value across that have a level of commonality, a level of of um, uh, intricate uh, uh, connective tissue. We want to try to elevate that, likely to a platform level. So rather than trying to bring it to an enterprise, because we have all 14 of our opcos are very um, different in terms of how they operate. Um, what we want to do is elevate data to our platform level using kind of a lens to say, if we have common customers, if we're using a, a common uh, uh, service uh, methodology, if we have a common way of, of uh, manufacturing or, or delivery models, how do we leverage and bring that data into common uh, data warehouses, common data structures so that we can mine the data, so that we can understand and grab intelligence off the data, uh, and ultimately where we can drive even uh, uh, greater efficiencies and productivity back into our business and into our uh, our, our critical stakeholders across the company. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's multi-pronged, I would say. Um, we're uh, not as far along as I, I think we would wanna be, but we, uh, we understand where we need to go and it's gonna be an important part of our strategy as we move forward as well. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, I wonder if you could talk, as you look to the future, what are some additional trends? We've talked about a number of them already, uh, but uh, any other trends you would highlight that are particularly exciting to you that are making their way onto your roadmap? Yeah, yeah. I would say a couple things stand out to me. I, I would say uh, in, in things that we're looking at, I, I think one is uh, it goes without saying that uh, that AI is going to have to be a, a pretty big part of, uh, of, of our strategy and uh, how we deliver uh, our services going forward. And as we think about that from the IT side and maybe taking that associate lens, um, we're seeing that there's more and more of these uh, assistive technologies that are coming onto the scene. So things like the, the sales co-pilots, the Microsoft co-pilots, the, the ones that are going to be embedded in our, our natural productivity tools uh, that are going to do work for us that maybe were cumbersome or difficult that uh, that maybe we just couldn't do as good as uh, as uh, the machines can. So I'm extremely excited and we're we're doing a lot of test trials right now of how those tools can help drive more efficiency, more time back for our associates, um, as well as help provide better results. And um, and and we're seeing it, uh, you know, today where we're using uh, some of the sales co-pilot tools. We can see uh, sentiment analysis across. Uh, uh, across our customer bases as we're working through and, and having uh, dialogues with our our, um, our customers. We can use that to help drive 
uh, more targeted conversations around uh, service and product offerings that we would want to uh, um, to, uh, to to demonstrate and showcase to them. So we're seeing more and more that assistive technology is going to be very, very critical. And we think that's here to stay and is going to definitely be a part of uh, all the work that we're doing going forward. Um, I would say the second thing, I think that uh, obviously um, the amount of data that we're producing is becoming more and more and, and the needs to uh, to mine it and, and use data and analytics and AI to, uh, to to generate insights is going to be more and more critical. So um, we're very bullish on on uh, what uh, a chat GPT and what the large language models are going to be able to produce for us um, in the future. I think that's going to be extremely important. Um, and then last, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways it's probably been uh, uh, it's been talked about for a little while now, and, and I think, you know, there's been articles probably written that uh, uh, that the metaverse is dead, but I, I, I'd, I'd beg to, to differ that I think we're just at the beginning of what um, what uh, AR, VR, what the uh, kind of uh, metaverse of the future will look like. And um, for those that haven't got a chance to see the Apple Vision Pro or some of the new uh, uh, kind of VR technology that's coming on the scenes, it really is revolutionizing uh, that whole experience. And I think it's going to have a tremendous amount of applicability, uh, both on the consumer side. I think there's some interesting things that you can do, uh, the uh, different immersive videos and and games and things that will come out of it. But really trying to think about how does that translate into uh, the con the uh, commercial and business side as well is going to be very interesting. And uh, it's it's not uh, uh, unreasonable to think that there could be a situation in the not too near future where uh, a doctor is wearing a you know a, a VR augmented reality headset and performing surgery thousands of miles away uh, on a patient that uh, uh, that uh, needs critical surgery and can't get the access to the resources that they need. So um, I think we still need a, a few more years to get there, but uh, you know I think that is the world that. Uh, that we're living in today and, and where technology is going tomorrow. So um, yeah, I think those are a few that I would say definitely to keep an eye on, definitely ones that we're uh, spending time uh, investing in and making sure we understand how to uh, how to think about them in the world that we work in uh, at Danaher. And uh, we're extremely excited about those as well. Yeah, I look forward to remaining abreast of the progress you and the team make uh, in those very areas. I wanted to also ask you, James, uh, prior to the two plus years that you've been in your current role, you had a, um, a, 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 a consequential tenure at GE, and you're yeah. one of a growing diaspora of former CIOs from GE who've gone on to become uh, CIOs, CTOs at other meaningful organizations. You were a, a, a SVP CIO, Global Functions and Digital Hubs. You were at one point also a CTO uh, within the organization, among other uh, technology lead uh, roles that you had. I wonder if, you know, upon further reflection, uh, what is it about the experience at GE that has been uh, such such a catalyst for so many of your peers to go on to not only leadership roles within that company, but now uh, leadership roles in so many other industries? Um, any reflections that, that, that particularly come to mind? Yeah, I, I'd say a couple, and it's uh, it's a great question, and and it it is a uh, there's a strong network out there, and it is uh, uh, it is great to uh, to have so many colleagues that have gone on to do uh, uh, incredible things, and I, you know as I reflect back and having kind of grown up with with uh, with a lot of them, uh, you know I, I would say first and foremost, I mean the investment in leadership development 
uh, I think was was uh, was second to none. And uh, they had a, a, a training development center. It was uh, a big part of how leaders develop was getting a chance to go to that center, be amongst other leaders, learn uh, in, in um, real world kind of uh, scenarios, how how to lead and, and operate in different uh, different ways. And so we, we really invested quite a bit in that level of leadership. I, I personally joined through their uh, entry level IT leadership program. And for the first two years, I wasn't in a permanent job. I was actually moving around every six months to a new job, new experience, working for new leaders, constantly changing, constantly evolving. And uh, I think that that kind of um, conditioning around change and being able to lead in all different types of climates and environments was, was extremely critical. And I think an important part of, uh, of the GE experience. I think, too, is just having such a, a, a wide array of industries that GE uh, uh, was working in gave you the opportunity to essentially kind of reinvent yourself all part of this within the same uh, company ecosystem. So uh, a couple of years you could work at an aircraft engines business, a couple of years you could work at a uh, healthcare business, and then a couple of years you could work at a uh, renewable energy business all still within the same brand. And, you know, not, not many companies have that wide of a spectrum of, of industry that they work in. And I think having the, the ability to, uh, to, to work across those was, was extremely critical. And, and I'd say third is, is that network. We, uh, you know, I think through all those different experiences that we all had, I think there was a very, uh, uh, and has continued to be a very strong network that forms. And, uh, uh, I think the the culture, the, the way that it, it was really expected that people, uh, uh, work together in a collaborative way. It um, was very natural, and so yeah, it's been uh, uh, it's been how I've gotten to where I've gotten to, and I'm uh, very uh, very happy that I got those experiences throughout the uh, the 20 plus years I was with GE as well. Yeah, and I was wondering beyond that. Obviously, that's that's a critical element that's uh, um, helped propel you to the current role that you you have. Any other difference makers along the way as you reflect upon? Uh, your pathway now to be a multiple-time C-suite executive at uh, multiple uh, uh, large-scaled organizations. Um, any other further reflections on on the secrets to your success, James? Yeah, I would I would say a couple things. I think for me, I think um, be, being willing to take the job that maybe not everyone would want, or or taking the job that maybe uh, uh, isn't going as well. I think I, I got advice early on from a, a really good mentor of mine that said, you know, take the job no one else wants because one of two things is going to happen. It's you're either going to make it better or, uh, or, or they'll ask you to do something else later on. And either way, it's probably, uh, probably not the worst of, of, of the situation. So, uh, so it was, uh, I, there were a number of times that I got the chance to be thrown into something that maybe was, uh, a little bit more challenging than, uh, than I expected or, or wasn't going as well as I expected, but always gave me the opportunity to learn. I, uh, I think it was Bill Gates said one time, success is a lousy teacher, which, uh, I actually agree with. I think a lot of times, if you are in a situation that you have a lot of success, you don't you don't always kind of reflect back. Well, what what caused that? And you know, how do you continue to sharpen the the, the sword to get better? And so I, I think that you know, throwing yourself into something like that, I think is uh, is important. Um, I, I think also having a certain mindset of uh, being curious, being willing to uh, to learn and and, uh, and and ask a lot of questions. You know, I always like to quote, uh, seek to understand before being understood. So, uh, uh, you know, I always kind of encourage people that I uh, mentor as well. Um, ask a lot of questions. Don't be afraid to uh, uh, to uh, put yourself out there and, and, and show that you're, you're interested. I think that goes a long way. Um, having the relationships as mentors, uh, like we talked about in, uh, with GE, I think that was extremely important for me to uh, have some people that were helping guide me along my pathway. Um, and then I'd say last but not least, not taking myself too seriously. 
I do like to uh, to have a lot of fun at work. I try to encourage and create that same sort of culture. And I feel like if you can't work hard, play hard, then, uh, you know, then then why bother? So uh, I always try to make sure I'm, I'm working in an environment, working in a team where uh, where we can have some fun along the way and and, and make sure we, we we take some time out to uh, to laugh and to uh, get to know each other in, in a more informal way as well. So, um, so, yeah, I would say those are just a few things I've learned throughout my career as well. Well, great reflection, James. I really appreciate you sharing each of those. And uh, thank you for a great conversation beyond that as well, uh, speaking to the the evolution and transformation that you're helping drive at Danaher, uh, some of your, your views as to what's to come, including some, some really interesting innovations afoot, uh, leveraging data analytics, artificial intelligence, among a variety of things we covered. Thank you for a great conversation. Awesome. Thank you again for taking the time, Peter. I appreciate it.